Welcome to Pardes Daily, where you get your daily dose of Torah with Pardes faculty. This time, Pardes is bringing Pesach to you. Let's dive in. Hi, this is Rachel Berkovitz coming to you from Jerusalem. This is Unit 5, where we're learning through the Mishnayot of Masachat Pesachim. Last time we looked at Mishnahe and we saw this very interesting fact that Rabbi Yehuda said that we use the Pasul Korban Todah, the nullified, the ineligible um, Thanksgiving offering as a sign for when we have to stop eating the chametz and when we must burn it. So we need to obviously, anytime the Mishnah makes a comparison like this, we need to try to unpack it. What is the Korban Todah? The Korban Todah is a voluntary um, offering in the category of Korban Shlamim, the peace offerings that human beings bring when they want to give thanks to the divine. Usually, it might be the most simple sense was uh, that you had a life-threatening incident where you thought you might die and you survived and you wanted to bring thanksgiving to the divine. Now, what's interesting about the Korban Todah is that there are there is a meat part of it. You bring an animal to be sacrificed, but also you bring a ton. And when I mean a ton, a ton of bread, you bring four different types of bread. And for each one of these types of bread, you bring 10 sort of measurements of loaves. So you have like 40 of these. And some of them use a ton of flour that could bake a whole, whole, whole lot of bread. And what's interesting about the Korban Todah that I told you makes it unique is we learned last time that normally I don't bring chametz into the Beit HaMikdash. Normally I don't bring chametz into the Beit HaMikdash. There are only two times when I do. Of these four different types of breads, one of the breads, 10 loaves of it, right, we have, is made out of chametz. And in fact, from the flour proportions of when it tells you how much flour I use total on all these loaves, it's about half of it goes to the chametz um, loaves. Um, so it's a really a lot. And the other time is on the holiday of Shavuot that we're not going to discuss now, but obviously Pesach is linked to Shavuot. And we, when we unpack what's going on here with the chametz, you can make connections yourself. Now, what else is interesting about this Korban um, Todah is that it is very similar in some ways to the Korban Pesach. They're both Korban Shlamim. They're both Shlamim offering. They're the only two sacrifices that have both meat and bread connected to them in this like tied in way. They both are consumed by the Baalim, right? The Korban Todah, all those loaves of bread, I only have to give four of them to the Kohen one from each type, and then the rest of them I must consume. And obviously the Korban Pesach, the, the, you know, the regular Joe Schmo is eating that with the bread that accompanies it. Obviously with the Korban Pesach, it, it isn't a chamet, it's matzah that's accompanying it. And the other interesting connection between the two of them is because they're both Korban Shlamim, that makes them, in, and the Baalim and the owners eat from it, it they're doing different categories of holiness when it comes to Korbanot. There's a Kodshei Kodashim, those are the holiest of holies, and those are things that are consumed on the fire and completely burnt. And then there's Kochin Kalim, like a lower level of holiness. And both Korban Pesach and Korban Todah fall into that category. But what's unique about them being Kochin Kalim is they're both, some, uh, they have one aspect in which it's similar. There is the same rules as not with the other lower level holiness ones, but with Kodshe Kodashim. And that rule is for both Korban Pesach and Korban Todah, after I offer the sacrifice, I have only one day to consume the food. Normally with Kodshim Kodashim, you have one day, but with Kodshim Kalim, you have two days. 
But these two are sort of mostly in the Kochim Kalim category, but there's an aspect of them that is like Kochea Kodoshim. And that is that you have only one day to eat it, right? You sacrifice it in the day and then you eat it throughout the night, right? If you were learning the laws of Korban Pesach, we sacrifice on the day of the 14th and we eat it on the night of the 15th at the Seder. And once you go over the time period of when you're allowed to eat it, boom, there is a prohibition called notar that the Torah says you're not allowed to eat it past the time. And that is a serious prohibition, which is why with the Korban Pesach, the rabbis wanted to give us a little bump to make sure we didn't transgress. Just the way we see here, they give us a little bump of an hour before is when we burn. And so instead of letting us eat the Korban Pesach till dawn, they didn't want people to fall asleep at the Seder. They say, make sure you finish it by chatzot. Make sure you finish it by midnight because we wouldn't want it to transgress eating it over the time period when you're not allowed to eat it. And any leftover Korban, this is the rule for any Korban, that is leftover after the time when you're supposed to eat it, is supposed to be burnt. You can't consume of it. You can't do anything else with it. It has to be burnt. And so you need to get rid of it from the world. There's a lot of comparisons already we see between the Korban Todah and the Korban Pesach. The main difference is that the Korban Todah has chametz in it, whereas the Korban Pesach obviously doesn't. And the other thing is, so why am I using these of these nullified, these pasul korban todas, right? The way the Gemara understands this is that, right, lots of people came to Yerushalayim for the Chag Pesach, and they um, wanted to obviously possibly give Thanksgiving offerings, korban todah, for things that had happened to them. But now they're stuck with tons and tons of people. People offered tons of these um, sacrifices on possibly the day before, on the 13th, because they didn't want to do it on the 14th, because then you'd have comments. The Rishami thinks it still happened on the 14th. The Bible thinks it only happened on the 13th. And then there's tons of chametz left over. And the Kohanim, they get a piece of chametz from every one of this. And maybe they can't finish them uh, by the time that they need to get rid of them on the 14th. So they go over their time and their pasul. And so they have extra of these rolls that, are, that were part of this that they were supposed to consume. But now the time has passed. And they weren't able to consume them in time. The Yerushalmi also has the idea that maybe a little blood got on them, and that's why you couldn't eat them. So I have these ones that were supposed to be a part of a sacrifice. I couldn't consume them because the time passed, and now they're pastel, and now I'm repurposing them to use as my timekeeper for when I should stop eating my chametz. Now, here, there's something very interesting that happens, that, that by using this example and doing the, creating this comparison, it makes us realize something. It makes us think something. And what it makes us think is the following. I know that on a sacrifice, when it passes the time and I can't use it anymore, then I have to burn it. That's how I get rid of it from the world. And I'm being taught this right in the Mishnah where I'm being told that I have to, be, I have to burn the chametz. Now, you might have thought that I had to burn the chametz because it says in the verse to get rid of it from your house. And this is how I'm going to get rid of it from your house. But by creating a Mishnah like this, the Mishnah has now placed in a new idea in our head that possibly when we burn the chametz, it's like burning a korban that's past its time. And for sure, the issue of past its time has happened, right? The way the Mishnah has set it up is that there's a time period up until when I'm allowed to eat it. And then there's a time period afterwards where I can no longer eat it, which is exactly the structure that we have with sacrifices. The guide to find a time period where I'm allowed to eat it. And then there's a time period where I'm not allowed to eat it. And then things that pass the time period get burnt. And it puts in our mind a possibility. And I'm saying this because I'm going to show you other examples of this, that 
that possibly the chametz that we eat all year round, which we called chulin, which Rabbi Gamliel called chulin, called non-consecrated food, might have a dimension of kodshim to it, might have a dimension of holiness, and that I only recognize at the moment when I stop eating it, and then I have to burn it, Erev Pesach. And another way we see this comparison is Rabbi Gamliel made us think about the truma. He made us think about chametz truma, and this this motif of chametz truma we're going to see in the second chapter as well. And that is perfectly good, that chametz truma. It has, it has a level of holiness. The, the chametz side of it causes me to have to burn it as if it's become pasul, as if it's become not usable, as if it's become tamay, as, as if it's, its use has passed and it's out of the realm of kochim anymore, right? Truma that I can't, that has become Tameh and therefore is out and become in prayer and out of the realm of Kochim, I burn. And now he set up a, a, a link to us that was similar of the burning of this Truma now, that the reason it's now Tameh is not because it came into contact with something that made it Tameh, but because it passed its time of the Chametz. And it's here too, we set up a parallel between our unconsecrated food and some type of consecrated food and the fact that we're burning them that makes us now think, maybe I should reconceptualize the, the chametz that I eat all year round, okay? And this idea is going to be seen again in this next the next two Mishnayot of the chapter. The next Mishnah says the following, Rabbi Hanina Skan HaKohen Amar, Rabbi Hanina, who is like the vice president of the Kohanim, says, and Rabbi Hanina is mentioned about 10 times in the Mishnah. He's a Tana from the first generation. He clearly exists in the time period when the temple exists. And what it means that he's the Skan, he's the second in charge. If the Kohen Gadol, something happened to him, he would step in. But not only that, he like is in charge of the work rotations and the, he's in charge of all the functionings and who does what job in the Beit HaMikdash. And it actually said that in the end of the second temple period, the, if you know anything, the Kohen Gadol, the high priest, was very corrupt. And like it rotated through many, many people who were the Kohen Gadol. And, and Rabbi Hanina stayed the skan. He stayed the vice president for all of them. So he, he really knows about the workings of the Beit HaMikdash. And he testifies for us in a number of places of what happens. He says, he said, in all the days of the Kohanim, right, in the entire history of the Beit HaMikdash, they never stopped themselves, they never prevented themselves from burning the meat of sacrifices that had become Tameh, that had become impure. And as I told you, right, an impure sacrifice, the only thing you can do with it is burn it. But he now says there are different levels of Tumah. The, the a main source of tuma is from a dead body, right? That's an avatuma, or from someone who's menstruating or for someone who has genital illness. That's avatuma. And avatuma is very powerful and it gives it to, it, it, it can transfer the tuma. And if you've gotten like it in the next degree, you're rishon latuma, your first degree. And a first degree is powerful, but a little less powerful and it can move it on and then you become second degree. And you can pass it on to third degree. And with kutchim, with holy things, there can even be a fourth degree that passes on. Each time the passing on gets weaker and weaker and weaker. But what he said, and, and any any level of tame, any way it got tame, you're going to have to burn it. But I'm, he said, we, we didn't, prevent ourselves, i.e. we did this. We burned kodshim, holy meat, that had become tameh from the avatuma, from the source, meaning it's very, 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 very tameh. We burned it together with meat 
that had become Tamei from Vladatuma, from the from the offspring, right? A weaker one. We have father and offspring from a weaker level Tuma. And we burn them together, even though it adds one Tuma to the other, i.e., something that became Tamei from Ava Tuma now is Rishon Latuma, now is first Tuma. Something that became Tamei from a second degree Tuma is now third degree Tuma, okay? And those two things are separate. One is first degree Tuma and one's third degree Tuma. Now I put them together in a pile to burn them. First degree touches the third degree and it turns it into second degree, meaning it added Tuma to it. It gave it more Tuma. You might have thought that I don't want to add levels of Tuma to Kojima. The whole idea is that things that are consecrated and holy, I don't want them to become Tamei. I don't want them to become impure. But he says, I don't care if I add, once it's Tamei, I can add another level of Tuma because even though it changes its Tuma status, it doesn't change its inherent status. Okay, that's the first part of the Mishnah. Not yet talking about Hametz in any way. This talking about the behavior of the Kohanim. On this Mishnah, Hosif Rabbi Akiva Vamar. Rabbi Akiva is going to add something, a new halacha. He says, In the days of the Kohanim, He gave another example that he claims that the Kohanim behaved this way. Rabbi Akiva is a lot after the Korban. I don't know how he heard this. But, um, Another example where I'm going to add the levels of Tuma, but that doesn't bother me. And it's a new case, and it's about a nair, right? Remember, we had the nair at the beginning of the chapter. Now we have a different type of nair. And the nair has shemen in it. The shemen is shemen that is shemen of truma. We're back to truma again. It's a shemen that was given to the Kohen, but it's become pasul. It's become nullified because someone who's tful yom touched it. Someone who's tful yom, let's say, I had an emission that caused me to be Tamei. I'm supposed to go to the mikvah and then wait till the evening to become Tahor. I have only one day where I'm, I have a dipping day. I've already dipped in the mikvah, but it hasn't yet become the evening. And that means that I'm a second degree Tuma. And so I have, I have this Shemin that touched someone who is second degree Tuma that makes the Shemin third degree Tuma. And I have the holder of the Shemin, the Nair, the ceramic thing. Ceramic thing has touched a mate. So the ceramic thing that came in contact to the, the primal thing of Tuma is now first degree Tuma. I put the Shemin in it that was third degree Tuma and the holder, the ceramic holder, turns it into second degree Tuma. So here too, the same example that I've added to the levels of the Tuma. Rabbi Akiva says, no problem, it doesn't matter, we can add the levels of Tuma. Continue to unpack this next time and understand Rabbi Akiva in a deeper way. Thank you to our Pardes faculty and a big thanks to you, our learners. Make sure to check back in every day to stay on track with your learning and visit www.pardes.org.il for more information about other ways to learn with Pardes.